So we're continuing on. So we say in verse 3, remember what the Lord spoke to you. He said, hear it and receive it and do it. That's what keeping it means. James was practical. That's the justification by works and not by faith alone. There's no teaching that says you're saved by faith alone. That's a heresy. When you first come to the Lord, you repent. That's your works. And you turn and obey the Lord. That's your faith. You trust him to do his part, and you do his part. So it's not just believing. Many people in hell believe, but they didn't do the will of God. So you who have fallen away, and you that are near fallen away, and you who have not fallen away, listen to me, he says, to those others, I give them time to repent. But if you do not come back, I will come like a robber. It means there'll be a time that my patience will run out, and then I will come upon you, and you think you have more time. You may not. You may be like the people at Noah's time. 120 years, he was a preacher of righteousness, and they didn't come to the Lord. Well, they wanted to come when God shut the door, a few of them, most likely. So the Jewish tradition says, and he did not open the door. See, God wasn't offering grace anymore. The five foolish virgins, God shut the door and said, I once knew you, but I don't know you anymore. You're not mine. So we have to remember this. So there are multitudes will be in the lake of fire that meant to repent. They meant to get right with God. They were procrastinators. They were delayed, and it will cost them their souls. Oh, I've talked to a few people. One of my aunts, when I was probably about 20, and I sort of tried to give the gospel to her, and she was very nice. And she said, well, when I'm willing to stop drinking and smoking, I'll get right with the Lord. Well, she finally quit smoking and drinking. And she lived to be in her mid-70s, but she never came to the Lord. See, God hardens people. It's not up to you to come whenever. When God shows grace, he holds accountability. He's not trying to save people just to keep them out of hell. That's only one reason. He saves people for he wants people to live righteously and holy in this present life. He wants them to be loyal. He's proven them. He's not saving them just to keep them out of hell. I'm sure many people think that. No, that's not the purpose. Jesus spoke more on hell and a lake of fire than the apostles did. They preach it a different way, but they haven't changed. Jesus said, go and teach everything that I taught. So he told the apostles, at times when you're teaching, you bring up these parables. You don't skip over them. You don't pretend that they don't imply. They do imply. So he's telling us this. When Paul was near his death, he knew it. See, that was the position of grace and God's extension of grace. He was faithful. Peter knew how he would die. Most people don't. God's grace for the righteous. But he hides the truth from those to despise his warnings. Most people are not one. Uh, most people in the world live and they die by accident, I say. 
the true Christian dies by appointment. But God, as far as most of the wicked, unless someone's praying for them and getting grace for them, they die in car wrecks. They drop dead of a heart attack. They're murdered. It doesn't mean that God's appointed. It means that he watches it and he doesn't interfere. See, they're not in covenant. He has no obligation. Life itself and their conscience warn them. So sometimes, in most cases, he doesn't warn them. See, they've had plenty of time. And so people die. I say they die by chance. Remember the 18 people? Jesus said that they were in a tower and the tower fell and killed 18 people. He said, do you suppose they were more wicked than most people? See, the Jews taught that when you had a tragic death, that God must have singled you out to punish you, like being struck by lightning or something. That's what happened. He said, do you suppose they were worse than you and others? His implication is they weren't. He says, and you shall likewise perish if you don't repent. If you repent, you're under God's orders. Even if he permits you to die by your reaping and sowing, it still has to come by permission. He's the master. He's the Lord. But with the unbeliever, he says, you you will die the same as those 18 men by chance. Something will happen in life, and it will cut you off. And God didn't single you out to be killed. That's the chance that the wicked take that don't live for the Lord. We have to, or the backslider. When I use the word backslider, I mean a person's not a Christian anymore. I don't mean he sat on the shelf and he's a carnal person. There's no such teaching in the scripture. Carnality is used two different ways by Paul and his scripture. To be carnal-minded is death. To live like the world it means you're not Christian. Then he talked about Christians who have favorite teachers and do certain things that are immature and walk like men. He says you walk like men. You have like people of the world. He means you, in those areas, you're not spiritual. So there's a difference between these worlds. Because you cannot be carnal-minded and not follow the Lord and still be a Christian. This cannot be. Okay? So he says then in verse 4, which I think is fine. Now this is the home group or the individuals. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Interesting here that Laodicea had lost their righteous robes. See, the Christian spiritually has righteous robes. But when he gets to heaven, he gets permanent robes. But here, we will find with the church of Laodicea, they were naked. They once had these garments, and then they didn't have them no more. So he tells these that you're walking right, and you've not soiled your garbage. You're not let them get all messed up with spots and wrinkles and dirt and filth is what he means. So he says to the church, you have a few that have not soiled their garments. Notice our many home groups in Sardis, only a few were in the Lord. Makes you think. Few there be that are saved. That's was Jesus' answer to Peter. There's only a few. Many means a multitude of them. Most of them. A few means only a few numbers. 
So that's why I say the majority of people profess to be Christians. There's only a few that are really Christians. Of the people who claim to be saved and spirit-filled, only a few of them are real Christians. See, they believe the right things, some of them. They don't live the right things, okay? So he says, obeying the Lord, you've not been in gross sinning. That's what pure garments mean. You've not fallen away. If you fail or sin sometime in your life, you repent of it. You don't keep it there. Like someone said, you can't help it if a bird lands on your head. You shoo him away. But you can help it if you let him sit there and build a nest. So you're responsible to do something about it, okay? So most of them that he said were dead, you have spots and wrinkles. You're dirty before God. That's what he means. In Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 27, he talks about the church, born again, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's what he's coming for. That reproves people. That tells people he's not pleased. They're not going to get away with certain things. They may fool people. They don't fool the Lord. And it will keep them out of the kingdom. He's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle, without any blemish. See, that's the bride. If you see a bride walking down the aisle and she had mud all over, you'd think something's wrong, wouldn't you? You expect her to be in white and pure and no wrinkles and the dress made just right for the wedding. So in the world, there are few and in the church that are spotless. As I said before, out of the Roman Empire, which was considered most of the world, they didn't know much about South Africa or the Far East. They thought they were the world. So anyway, out of maybe 70 million people, at the most, this is 70-some years after the resurrection, at the most, there may have been 300,000 who professed to know the Lord. And out of those, only a few were saved. That tells you something, don't it? Constantine, in the third century, saw a sign in the sky, a cross, and he made everybody convert. They didn't change. They didn't repent. They just took on forms of Christianity, and they kept living their idolatry. He wasn't a true Christian, and neither was the empire. See, all of that, like the Roman church and the Protestants as a whole, they are false before God. They're the multitudes that are going to say, Lord, Lord, and find out that they are cursed by the Father. Okay, few of them are loyal to Christ. And remember, the Lord answered Peter when he said, will there be many saved? And he said, few there be that be saved. So this is the Lord himself. He said the way is narrow. Actually, the translation is how difficult and narrow is the way. And few are saved. Those were the original words that Christ spoke. Well, how many that were first saved fall away? In the end times, the scripture says there will be a falling away from the church. He's not talking about a denomination. 
He's not talking about an organized religion. He means the true church. There shall be a falling away, and it will get dark like the time of Noah and like the time of Lot. We'll study them. Hardly nobody got saved. That's how it's going to be, okay? And so they will fall away by pleasures of sin, by deceiving spirits, by forgetting the word of God and their duties to God. Those who are spotless, blameless, they are led of the Spirit. They walk in the Spirit. And they will walk with Jesus, he said, in white. They will get permanent garments in heaven. Their garments of temporary ones will be changed. One of the churches, he said, I'll make you a pillow in the temple of my God. And you shall not go out, in and out. You'll be fixed there. There won't be no chance of you ever backsliding or falling because sin will be done away with. The old man's left behind. The devil and his followers and the wicked people will be in the lake of fire. There will be no temptation. There will be no flesh destroyed to temptation. That's what the Christian looks for. We eagerly wait for the coming of the Lord so the mortal shall put on immortality. As long as we're mortal, we have the flesh to contend with. We have to keep it under. But when we are either raptured or we die in the Lord, the flesh doesn't go with us. And so the enemy has nothing to tempt anymore. We're made righteous as the angels that did not fall. Jesus actually said we will be equal unto angels. And there's something. Okay. Verse 5. He who overcomes will thus, okay, be clothed. So that he's already got his white garments that he's living, but he's going to get new ones. And I will do something what to them. I will not erase his name from the book of life, implying that the ones that are dead and fell away, he's been erased. They've been erased from the Lamb's book of life. They were once his and they're no longer his. Some translations say he blots them out. He uses whiteout. You know how you use whiteout when you're writing letters or typing. Uh, you can just put whiteout on it, and then you write over it. No one ever knows what it was. So he's saying that you can be sure I will not blot your name out. Why? Because you lived and walked before me. You were led of the Spirit, and you obeyed me. You were mine. You were faithful and loyal in your probation. That's what he means, okay? Verse 5, again, white garments, I will not erase your name, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels, okay? It was Christians, let me remind you, that fell away. They were branches that once bore fruit, and then they did not bear fruit. They were once wise virgins, and they became foolish virgins. They did not repent, and they did not come back to the Lord. He warned them and gave them opportunity. So he blotted these Christians out of the book of life. Like you say, they were once a part of him. Those who soiled and spotted their garments, they got into sin, gross sin and pleasures of this world. And he got into covetousness and greed and other sins. 
The scripture says garments are the righteousness of the believer. They didn't have no righteousness. We're going to find out the church of Laodicea, Jesus said, you're naked. You have no righteousness anymore. You're not covered. When Adam and Eve were naked, they saw their shame. And they were afraid and hid from the Lord. Their sin made them that way. So many will be cut off from grace. They will be removed from the book of life. That proves their standing. When they were in the book of life, that was proof. As far as God was concerned, they were his. And they were with Christ. But those who did not overcome, that fell from Christ, by not being led of the Spirit, engaging in gross and lawless sins, not using the armor of Christ, and fighting the spiritual warfare against demonic powers. This is our probation. This is where we prove our loyalty. This is why Christians are tested. So if people think they can just say the sinner's prayer and they're saved forever, they've been lied to by false shepherds. It's not true. There's no truth whatsoever to that teaching. The overcomer of these things will be confessed by Christ. He will confess these as his brothers, his sisters. Who will he confess it before? The Father and the holy angels. He's not ashamed of them. They're righteous and holy like the Father and the angels are. Remember he said, if we deny Christ before mankind, Christ will deny us before the Father and his angels. So, if you're ashamed of the Lord, and you will not take a stand at the proper time, God takes it as denying him. You deny him in two ways. You deny him by confession. That's why the Romans and others tried to get Christians to recant and confess something different, and then they didn't put him to death. Well, the true faithful Christian would not do it. He would die first. The weak Christian, the backslider, the professing Christian, he would recant. He would justify it. Well, I'll get right later. But he denied him. And the scripture says Christ will deny him before the angels and the Father in heaven. But also, most Christians, professing Christians, once Christians, that's what I use, they fall into another category. They deny the Lord, not by confession. Many of them go to church. Many of them are faithful to church. They're like Sardis. They have a name. They're alive. But in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, I've read this one often. You should read it often. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. Well, so much for being saved by faith alone. They profess to know God. They say, Lord, Lord. The multitudes of professing Christians. And Jesus said, I never knew you, okay? They are abominable. This means they're wicked. They're filthy spiritually. They're disobedient, it says, and disqualified for every good work. See, when Christ saves people, he saves them for good works. They can't be saved and keep living the way they want to. They can't confess Jesus and say, well, at least I'm saved. It don't work that way. 
I've heard people tell me, well, at least I'm saved. I just won't get many rewards. You won't get any rewards and you'll be in the lake of fire eventually. That's what's going to happen. And you deserve it because you're gullible and you should be deceived. God's sending a lying spirit on the world because they don't want the truth. Or they rejected the truth. That's God. He sends the lying spirit. When heresies, they're not to be pitied. Oh, 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 they just had a good teacher. No. If they obeyed God by their conscience, they would have been given more. They are responsible. Oh, the teachers, it's false because it's going to get a greater damnation. But they're not to be excused. There are no poor people in hell. I've heard people preach to God, oh, these poor sinners, the poor good people, they're going to hell. They're not going to hell. If they were good, they wouldn't be going to hell. They see there are false Christianity out there. A watered-down gospel has been presented, and most people are saved, so-called, by it, but they're not really saved. So you deny the Lord by your lifestyle. That's why James said, a man is justified not by faith alone, but by works. Well, many of the Lutherans and the Calvinists don't like that scripture. They want to do away with James. Well, you can't do away with James. He was the head, he was one of the heads of the Jerusalem church. He wasn't one of the twelve, but he was an apostle. Peter listened to him. He made the decision to accept Paul. Even Paul said, if I would not submitted to the apostles and to the leaders, elders, I would have run in vain. See, he said, they didn't add nothing to me. I'm as, I knew as much as they did. But the Spirit said that the church in Jerusalem, everything's built on that. So many people think Paul superseded them. He did not. He built on them. And even Peter acknowledges Paul's scriptures, writings as being scripture. And some things he said are hard to understand. But let me tell you a secret. Paul, at his time and his preaching, got greater revelation until John came along. Until John, in about 95 AD, wrote the book of Revelation, far exceeded things that Paul taught. See? No, he is not the foundation. He is not the replacement for Judas. These are heresies by the Calvinistic people. They're trying to emphasize this faith alone as if it supersedes Peter and James and Paul. Well, like I say, you read one of the epistles of John, it'll tell you six or eight ways, whether you're a Christian or not, and it don't use the word grace or faith. It tells you the outcome of grace and faith. See? So he did not negate them. He wasn't Joseph Smith with a new gospel, with another gospel. He said, if I had not submitted to them, I would have run in vain. I would have been preaching, and the church would have been against him. And he said, I went down to the church, the apostles and elders. See, that included James and Barnabas and others. He said, lest I run in vain. He submitted to them to their judgment. And he said, I went by revelation. The Lord Jesus told me to go down. So that makes it very clear if people want to hear the truth. So to each one of the churches, he knows their works. He wants them to know that. He doesn't say, I know your faith. 
that's rarely used. See, as James says, I will prove my faith by my works. You cannot prove your works by your faith. Unless you choose to. You can say, I believe, but that will prove nothing. Multitudes of millions are going to say, Lord, Lord, believe. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. All of God's judgments are according to works, not what a person believes. Because what a person believes will come out by their works. What they say will be fruitful. So we have to remember that. So any of these gospels that preach a faith and grace alone, they are inspired by the devil. And they're very popular. So he says to each of the churches, I know your works. And as James said, you are justified by your works, not your faith alone. He makes it very plain. And he explains it. You said, you say, I have faith, the faith, Christianity. And he says, you see your brother has need and you don't help him. And you say, oh, bless you and go your way. He calls him a hypocrite, basically. And he says, do you think this kind of faith is going to save him or this kind of Christianity? And the rhetorical answer was no. If you never help your brother, if you never help people, he's not talking about every individual case. He's talking about in general, if you don't love and demonstrate God's grace, then you're not a Christian. He makes it very plain. He doesn't care what you believe. Okay? He refutes it. And so when he says a man is justified by works, it should have been made plain. But it wasn't because Luther was a heretic just like the Catholics were. I don't mind saying that. That's what it was. He answered a heresy with a heresy. Roman Catholic works do not get a person saved, a ritual. He should have answered spiritual works is what proves a person is a Christian. Faith that is active, not passive. Active faith has works. Jesus said those who are saved by faith, it's a gift of God. Immediately, he says, they are created for good works. So if they don't produce good works, <laughs> then they're not saved. See, they got to. Or they can refuse to. See, they still have a will. But there's a consequence for refusing this. So Paul and Titus says these people that denied the Lord were detestable and disobedient. So they denied Christ that way. But they're going to say, Lord, Lord, at the judgment day. They were disqualified from Christianity. Paul only used the word here in Titus and about twice or so in Corinthians. And both times it applied to the Christianity, not them being put on a shelf, not for them being a carnal Christian. He told the Corinthians Examine yourself and see whether you be in the faith anymore. That's what he told them. He says, don't you know if Christ is in you or not? See, the Spirit in general bears witness. Doesn't mean he bears witness every day. We walk by faith and not by sight. But he confirms these things to the conscience and the spirit of a person. Gives them peace and righteousness. So it's good fruits. And obedience, they go together to understand this. Verse 6, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So each church, he addresses himself as the Lord in a certain manner. He says, I know what works you're producing, or we're good or bad. And at the end, he said, now listen to what the Holy Spirit said and what he's saying. So to be led of the Spirit, obey the Lord, is the works that God requires. Have you noticed in the seven churches, he doesn't speak too much about grace of faith. Like John, he says, if I talk about spiritual works, that implies there's faith and grace. Because you can profess grace and faith and not have the right works. Then you are false as far as the Lord is concerned. So each church, he warns them to listen to the Spirit who speaks for the Father and the Son. Romans chapter 8, 14. For as many as are led of the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. It's used in the masculine, but it means uh, sons and daughters, the children of God. So if a person says they're a Christian and they're not being led of the Spirit, they're not obeying the Lord, they are a backslider or they are a false Christian. For those are the ones. And who is speaking this? Led of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ. I mean, I said to each one of these churches, the whole prophecy was given by the Father to the Son, to an angel, to John, to the people. And in each church, the Lord, the Son of God, addresses himself and ends it with, this is what the Spirit's saying. You see, the Godhead is involved. It's the Father, Son, and the Spirit speaking is what it means. Each one of them had the same message. Remember when Jesus lived on the earth and his divinity was limited, he said then, when Philip said, show us the Father. And he'd been with them for three years or more. And he said to him, how long have I been with you and you've not known me? He that have seen me have seen the Father. He said, every word I speak, every action is the Father in me. How is the Father in him? It's the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of the Father and the Son. So Jesus was saying, even though my divinity is limited because I had to live as a man, it's still the Father. He said, as the Father works, I work. Isn't this astounding? So he was telling them, I will not show you anymore. I've already, I've condescended. I've lived with you for three years. And everything that you want to know about morality and how to live and what the Father's saying is in me. That's what he was telling them. Now, when he resurrected and met them in the room, the apostles, Thomas wasn't with them the first time. And when he appeared the second time, Thomas at first said, I won't believe unless I see the scars in his hands and his side. I won't believe that he's resurrected. Well, he came the second time to him, and he told Thomas, touch my hands and my side, and see that I am not just the spirit. Of course, he disappeared as a spirit, but he appeared in a natural form, because he hadn't ascended yet. He took on both forms whatever he chose. And it's interesting what Thomas says. 
Not only did he believe, he resurrected. He said, and he addressed it to Jesus. He said, my Lord and my God. He understood who Jesus fully was. See, the apostles had a doubt. They believed he was anointed. He was the Messiah. They didn't have the full comprehension that he was God. Restrained. Even Mary didn't know this until the end. See? That's why Philip said, show us the Father. Well, within a few days, he was going to be crucified. You mean for three years you haven't picked this up? Peter, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. See, the Spirit had to reveal these things. And he hid some of these things until the very end. He didn't make certain things clear to them until the very end. So they would not interfere with things that he was doing. So those who followed the Master are led of the Spirit. So in these dark last days, this is why I spend much time admonishing and warning. My ministry is mainly to Christians. And some have listened for years, and at least they've not fallen away. They haven't fallen away because they've listened to the admonishment, the warnings, the encouragements. Because I will answer for what I say. But most people are deceived with pleasures, and they are self-seekers. It means they're finding their own life. People say, oh, the Lord wants me happy. There's no scripture. If they're not spiritual joy, happiness and joy. Joy is spiritual. Happiness is dependent on happenstance. What happens to your life? So everybody's happy when everything goes their way. Everybody isn't joyful. But the Christian can have joy and have tribulation and sorrow at the same time in the world. Uh-huh. The worldly cannot. The sinner cannot. And Jesus said, if you find your life, you will lose it spiritually. Or if you find your life, If you prosper and you get a name and everything goes your way, you're your own God. That's what it means. You're an idolater. You're not doing the will of God. Paul said you have to take up the cross and Jesus daily. It means when things cross you, when things you want to do, you do God's will first. That's the cross. And he implied it's daily, that every day we have to make decisions to follow the Lord, or to follow our own path. So many people, they're using Christianity for covetousness, materialism, wealth, and money. They put their trust in. They really don't trust the Lord. Sometimes people told me, well, you should teach a lot more of the Old Testament. Well, a lot of people want knowledge of the Scripture. I'm teaching what's practical for the age we live in. I don't care who the eighth king of Israel was. That don't get me to heaven. It's nice to know certain facts. But if I teach people that leads them to living godly, I don't get them to heaven. See, people want information and knowledge. Many people think they're Christians. They're ever learning, but never coming to knowledge of truth. They're scholars, but they don't have spiritual revelation. So we look at the times we live in, and if there's darker times, we give more admonishing and warning. Well, see, people many times don't want that. They only want a positive word. And God has nothing positive to say to them if they don't repent. 
And if they live for themselves, he doesn't have nothing positive. What's positive about telling a person to go into the lake of fire? Not very positive, is it? And that's where most of them are going. So few listen, but at least they listen, okay? So I figure if you're a true Christian, if you want to study Old Testament and certain things on your own, that's fine. As long as you don't negate the time we live in and understand the spiritual problems of the day that we live in. Okay? So we see that many people have knowledge. And in closing, as I've said before, I knew a man when I was 19, went and heard him fill up an audience of 2,000 people. And he could quote the New Testament and part of the Old. And then I found out a year later when I got enlightened, uh, he was Calvinistic. And he believed, uh, once saved, always saved. I thought, well, for all of his knowledge of the Bible, he didn't know how to rightly handle the truth, did he? See? He increased that knowledge and remembrance, but he never came to the knowledge of the truth. He was a heretic. So in closing, uh, we will pray. Father, give us wisdom, practical application. Give us the truth. As you say, you will hide the truth from the wise of the world and reveal it to the simple. That the unrighteous shall never understand, but you make the way plain for the righteous. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.